Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome back to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler, back with another episode in this podcast series focused on digital advertising's COVID recovery. We've covered everything from Zoom Zumba classes in those initial lockdown weeks through to the need for physical events to now have a digital twin. But now it's talk of what new normal will look like and importantly, which lockdown behaviours will stay and those that will disappear. Today, we continue our direct-to-consumer theme with Callaly's Chief Marketing Officer, Kate Wang. Callaly are a subscription-based femcare company and are the UK's first femcare B Corp. More on that later. They've been described by The Independent as revolutionising the multi-billion pound feminine care industry and by Vogue, no less, as very chic. Kate and I discussed business in the last few months, the brand's recent unboxing film and her experience of crowdfunding for the first time. But I started by asking Kate how she describes Callaly to the uninitiated. So we're um, an organic cotton period product company. So we're available on subscription in the UK. Um, And we're also the inventor um, of the tamp liner, which is the first design innovation to tampons in 80 years. And um, I think it was the Telegraph that coined you, you were revolutionising femcare, which is, you know, that's no no, mean feat. So I think it's not just for us, it isn't just about having a product that's different. It's also the way that we give our, our products to our customers. Yeah. So we are one of the most customizable products that you can buy out there that's delivered through your letterbox. So at the moment, most women are buying their products from chemists or from shops and you have to buy it the way that these big companies have been telling you you need to buy it yeah. for decades. So yeah. a pack of super plus tampons or a big pack of night pads, whereas we sell them in little components. So you can buy everything down to... Um, four level of four components for some of our products you get kind of like a little mix box and actually this this morning we found out we've won the design week award for our 3d packaging um which we did with design bridge a fantastic agency that we've been working with for quite a long time now um and we really wanted that user experience to be pleasurable because periods aren't a lot of fun Mm. but getting a package through the post can be so yeah we've we've really tried to push the boat out in terms of service and product you touched on it there that you know, some of these behaviours, and I wonder, you sort of look at some uh, washing powder is always the one that, you know, if you're, if you've got what you grew up with, what your mum bought, and she probably bought what your parents bought, you've got those sort of ingrained behaviours in this area as well. It's people just make choices based on what they had when they were growing up or as teenagers when they first started periods and trying to undo that must be so difficult. Yeah, it's really hard. We did a survey and there was, I think it's around 41% of people were using exactly the same product and exactly the same brand. Um, And then, you know, there has been a lot of innovation in the last few years. Um, More and more people are using things like organic cotton products, also using period pants, but none of them have really hit mainstream. Organic cotton, I think, Mm. is the biggest kind of product innovation that could hit more mainstream. Um, but you're right. There's, like, we, we, when we think about who our competitors are, we don't really see our competitors as companies that do something similar to us. It really is apathy because those yeah. products are the type of ones that you just don't really care for. They're not ones that you really put a lot of thought into. I certainly hadn't until I started working at Callaly yeah. at all. I was buying the same two, three brands that my mum bought for me when I was a yeah. teenager. And you just don't think about those types of purchases at all. Yeah. Um, well, how's business and how's it been since... God, I've lost track of how many lockdown weeks now. I'm sort of like ticking off the calendar. But um, how is it for you? Because I guess some of the other D2C brands that we've talked to, 
have been have had a completely different take to maybe some people that are on the high street because I guess they, they kind of don't have that challenge and often their challenge has been a positive one in that way and that demand's been pretty hard to keep up with. Has it been for you? Yeah, we actually, um, so we, I mean, I have to kind of caveat everything with the fact that we're a really new brand. So we launched yeah. with the current product offering that we have only at the end of October. And as anyone who works in kind of fem care or fast moving consumer products, Q4 is not a great launch period. We just happen to be able to push go. So really, from my perspective in terms of marketing, we really launched in January this year. So it's hard to talk about figures and stats with a really, um, you know, defendable position. But in broadly speaking, we've seen two main things happen since lockdown. So first of all, we've seen loyalty increase with our customers so whereas before user behavior i think people were trying one box seeing if they liked it but they still had that stash of products in their bathroom cupboard or they were still going to the shops regularly so we've seen customer churn half so we've we've seen loyalty really shoot up so now if someone tends to convert with us they really do tend to stay Um, and secondly we've um, been paying in the first i think it was the first six or eight weeks of lockdown our CPAs on all of our performance activity went down by a third. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think all of us have been on a little bit of a Corona coaster uh, emotionally nice. and professionally. Nice. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, there was times when everyone is a company, we're like, right, cash burn, you know, we're talking about furlough and, and really thinking about our kind of burn rate and our, you know, our pipeline. And then there's been other times when we realized actually we do need to turn ads back on to survive. And we were really pleasantly surprised that we've had, not a continued low CPA, but there have been periods during lockdown where our cost to acquire a customer is less and yet the customer retention is higher. So, you know, I think what we do as a business selling an essential product during a time like this has yeah. been extremely valuable to our customers. I think they've really appreciated receiving products through the letterbox because lots of other companies that aren't able to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, as someone who, when you have periods, it's just another thing that you've got to think about on your mental load of not forgetting to buy that. Or um, so, yeah, I think I think we've just seen a real, you know, uptake in the service part of what we do. And how's it how's it been team wise as well? I guess you'll have a bunch of people who would have been working in an office, but you've got some production people as well. How's that all worked out in lockdown? Yeah, so we have, um, there's a, we're a small team, so we're, there's under 20 of us. Uh, we're normally in offices in West Hampstead. It's a really yeah. friendly, lovely place to work. There's kind of residential area. Um, and then we've got about uh, a third of the team who work remotely for a lot of the time in some capacity with our manufacturing partners. Right. Um, and they have, yeah, like jobs where they need to be in factories. And obviously that, we weren't able to do that um, at the beginning of lockdown at all. Yeah. Um, but now things are really easing up. So I think we've had, you know, they've kind of combined, there's one difficulty of how do you make sure that everyone can work cohesively whilst at home, because we're really used to seeing each other, not every day. Um, And then the second one of how do we then externally work with our suppliers, and especially from a manufacturing standpoint, when, you know, there's like, for example, um, Eva, one of our co-founder and head of product. So we moved all of her testing equipment into her flat. So she's actually still able to quality control and test because she's, she was simply wasn't allowed to go into the the factory. Yeah. Um, uh, you talked a bit about turning uh, ads back on. Something else that you've done as well is this unboxing film, which we're going to put a link in the in the notes, which is, which is just brilliant, which 
um oh thank you you basically get you basically get people to open things that were used in the 30s which kind of haven't changed at all well some things have um in the category but uh, uh tampons and things that just haven't changed at all and kind of makes the point um there's a brilliant article in marketing week as well i think you plan to launch that slightly earlier but obviously uh with the country being locked down so, so see how it off a bit yeah so actually we, we worked with a fantastic agency called don't panic hmm. whose model is quite different from a kind of standard you know ad campaign and we really didn't see it as a, a kind of ad campaign right. we really wanted to create a piece of content that would make people think so don't panic tend to work with um, charities and causes so we were aiming to launch this around international women's day so not on right. the day because yeah. it, it would have been a real furore but really at a moment when people are thinking about women's perspectives um but instead you know but international women's day is march 8th so you know yeah. the news cycle was not talking about things like that for a long time so we didn't launch it then because it would have felt really tone deaf yeah. um and equally we were impacted with um some of the team being ill who were working on it so we actually had production issues so yeah we kind of sat on it for a little while and then um we actually decided to launch it um at a time when it felt like the news cycles were changing a little bit and you know us as a team there's a lot of women on the team yeah. we really empathize with that like we were remembering when we were together like on the shoot day and you kind of laugh together i think it really captures the moment of female camaraderie and friendship yeah, yeah. um in that moment and i think yeah we launched it at a time when we felt like we would hopefully get some cut through um, and people were kind of needing to be cheered up a little bit it's a it's a film that is overriding the positive even if it's slightly outrageous that tampons haven't changed since the 1930s and you and you make the uh, and you make the brilliant point actually you said it's not necessarily about driving sales and the reason why you've done it is is pr and talkability which again is a fair i think it's a fairly brave thing to do as a as a cmo i'm that there would be others you know particularly you want to get down into the numbers particularly now to be like well yeah let's look at some roi and see what we're going to do so i think that's a pretty brave call was um uh, uh, how's the feedback been from the film and have you seen any monitoring around and people are talking about it what they're saying about it yeah so we actually had um we did have well we, we the whole strategy around it was about making a facebook post the kind of main place where it would live and then we were driving our community there um driving press there and, and using some ad support and we we were overwhelmed with the amount of views that we got especially all the way through so we had a, a small ad budget for it um but we we really got a lot more views than we thought we were going to get so i think we had over two million in the end um and the, the in terms of the response of the actual content it was phenomenal sadly it didn't really get the press cut through that we were hoping for but to be honest in this world that we're living in yeah, press yeah, yeah. has been something that is very hard to go yeah. to, you can't you can never really bank on press anyway um but overall we were really really happy with the the way that the the content was received and i think when you're a startup like us we we are dependent we're always thinking about the next raise that we're making or you know we we, we definitely and we absolutely have customers that are the, you know a very important audience that i think about but myself and the rest of the leadership team are also thinking about investors yeah. and the creating a brand and creating value that has longevity it's not always if we think short term all the time about sales yeah it's very hard for us as a leadership team to then talk to investors about the future um, yeah. and about what we're we're kind of staking claim okay. so yeah we, we 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 did know that we weren't going to see sales as a result and i think that i i'm, I'm very lucky that i've got a ceo that supports that yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say yeah and i think particularly when you've got you know such a big job such ingrained behavior I, I get you don't see them as competitors, but in terms of those massive, massive companies for years that have been doing 
you know, tons and tons of brand advertising on billboards and televisions and everything else. I mean, it's, um, it, it, it's no mean feat. Do, do you, do you see that very, um, binary separation between this is something we're doing over here, which is brand advertising. And this is something over here that we're doing, which is performance, which is all about sales or, or, or is it that you are a small enough, young enough company that that's a real sort of hybrid of the two? Um, I'm going to, sh- going to kind of get out of the question by saying it's both because, <laughs> because of, so we do, as a lot of other DTC companies, we have such a focus on performance because we can see where we're getting all of our sales from, you know, retail will absolutely be in our, our strategy moving forward and we're kind of planning for it already, but we're really enjoying, I mean, I love data and analytics that we're in such an exciting yeah. position as a DTC company to see where our customers are, get, are from getting all that feedback. But whilst we put ads and content out that are performance-based, they absolutely wouldn't work if we didn't have a strong brand behind it. Yeah. So I think we, what you know, when I started at the company, um, it was me and my friend Jodie. I've been friends with for twenty years. We met at uni. Um, she's a fantastic creative, and we both started working there. There was there was a brand name and a logo and nothing else, and we got to build it from scratch. Nice. And I think that it's it's quite hard to put a value a financial value on what that brand equity is but the fact that we've been winning awards the fact that Vogue calls us chic I think is really testament to the fact that it potentially helps with how much your cost per click is on an ad it's it's not as tangible but I think all of us who work there and we've been we've been really lucky with the type of press that we've been getting I think we've all we'd all definitely stand behind the fact that we've built a brand that helps us when it comes to performance but equally we've got a fantastic head of performance she joined us from um, River Island who really understands retail and consumer behavior and and how to plan the campaigns and and she's she really thinks about creative and her and Jodie work very well together yeah, nice. so I think one of the great things about being a small company is that you don't have these massive silos yeah. there's not many of us there everyone fundamentally understands each other's perspective and we're really driving towards the same goals so I think that helps as well I think having a really small team where we're aligned on what we need to do. Um, and I think they're really complementary, the performance and the brand together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant answer. And and d- data, I guess, is the other thing that's that's very easy to see. It's not siloed away in different departments across a massive global business. You can literally look over someone's shoulder or huddle around something, understand if something's worked or why something's happening, uh, which again, yeah, you kind of touched it there, is such a, a hallmark of D2C brands. Um, you're crowdfunding at the moment, aren't you? So you're, you you have some private investment, I, I, I take it, but now you're you're reaching out for uh, uh, public funding. How's it going? Yeah, it's it's exciting. Is <laughs> <laughs> one way of putting it. Like it before? No, in my career, I've never done a crowdfund before. So I've kind of watched them from the sidelines. Yeah. I, me and my husband have invested, you know, a couple of little things. We've done stuff on Kickstarter before. Um, you know, it's something, something that I've really been interested in as a consumer. And it is something that as a management team, we talked about before, but it never felt like the right time. Um, And Tang, our founder and CEO, is a phenomenal fundraiser. So we've raised over seven million pounds in order to get the business to where it is. We were very lucky. We got a one million pound loan from the UK government from Innovate. And they supported us with grants to build the first machines at first built templiners. So Mm. we've been really lucky in our funding journey up to this point. But our cap table was very male centric um, and people who worked in finance, which is you know, a fantastic accolade thinking that it's fantastic that men are investing in this, yeah. but we've never done a crowdfund campaign that appealed to 
both genders to rational and emotional means to um and to kind of vary our cap table and, and really go to our community but building community has been at the heart of what we've done um, as a kind of sales and marketing team so it felt like the right time actually um and i think during covid we, we started crowdfunding before COVID hit and it's like the worst time to start doing that. Um, but it's that kind of safety in numbers. Yeah. If you, yeah. you know, if you're going out to a wide group of people and it's a real, it's, you know, before when we do investment, um, you know, my, our, it's really run by the CEO and me yeah. and the COO do, do support on maybe 5% of meetings or calls, but it's fundamentally the, mm. the CEO and co-founder that does it. Whereas now this is such a team effort. We've got all of the teams sending email. I've, I've given everyone tracking links and everyone <laughs> is getting behind it. Everyone's doing their LinkedIn. So it's actually been a fantastic experience internally for us. It's very labor intensive, which I didn't is really um, you appreciate. You can't set these things up and just let it. Well, it's alive now and lots of people are asking us questions, which are very valid and very interesting. But normally when you're doing investment, it's all very closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is all really open and really public. Um, but uh, but Crowdcube are a fantastic team to work with. They've been really supportive, really helpful. I guess it's it, it's more when you're doing something you've never done before. Yeah. Um, there's just that steep learning curve, which I'm sure every company who's done it before us knows. And you know, even things like creating a film that we did, I think, um, Kels and our team who, who worked on that, she managed to do it, I think, in less than two weeks from us wow. signing off the PO and then getting our final version in. So everything is just accelerated and fast. And, and, and where are you at? And, you know, what are your expectations around how much you can raise? So we were really lucky. We've hit our um, initial target of a million right. pounds. Um, but yeah, like it's really not our final target so the way that crowdfunding works is that you you have to really hit that, that minimum target in order right. for the round to close um but we're still we're still open until the end of july um and we really you know we're hoping that we can overfund by at least 200 percent um nice. get to two million if, if we can um because we've got really high ambitions for what we're trying to do this year we're going to launch in europe um in the coming months and really we just need as much fuel as we can get um yeah. And we've seen a fantastic response so far. We've seen over, um, I think we we're on 1.2 million this morning with 400 investors. Nice. And we really see that as a, a kind of combined goal that we've got. It's really mm. the amount of money that we have that will, will support us, but equally the number of investors is really important to us. Yeah. Um, well, the only metric that I'm not happy with is that we wanted to have 40% women and we're only at 30%. So me and my team need to push that a bit harder. Pull to arms. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, you're also a B Corp, which we should mention as well. And you're in fine company with that. I mean, all sorts of amazing brands, everyone from uh, Ben and Jerry's through to cook through to, you know, hundreds of brands. Just just tell us what, um, for those that aren't aware, what being a B Corp means in terms of, you know, your business values and, and, and what you do. Yeah, I think, well, it's basically in a nutshell, it's it's all profit for-profit companies that have come together and, and abide by the same values and standards. Um, so you, it's really about how to use business as a force for good yeah. so that we make sure that we're being fair and equitable to the star, our staff, the planet um, and everything that we're trying to do. So everyone gives money back to charity. Um, you spend time volunteering, um, but that when you, when you normally would be at work um, and it's also about the, the kind of level of standards that you would have around for us, we make sure that all of our packaging is either recyclable or biodegradable. Yeah, nice. um, and we just make sure that we're putting the, the, the customer first and people's health first well, yeah. before profit. 
Yeah, which again is such a, a brilliant thing to do. You know, you would have seen so many business kind of, uh, particularly in the last few months, almost go to the wire and in, in kind of survival mode, particularly if you have to close a load of shops and you have to furlough staff or, or make redundancies. So I think, I think having having that uh, that that core to your business is in is incredible. And I think I also think very early on in in the podcast we were talking to people who are saying, you know you will remember how people conducted themselves during this and you know businesses particularly people have got you know long memories and when we come out the other end and we get to some sort of normal you know people will remember brands that helped them out or made things easy for them or delivered them things for free or i had a car insurance brand that just gave everyone 10 quid back and it's just those tiny things i think people will 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 remember so hold you in good stead um i want to talk a little bit about media maybe a bit about influence as well but anything you've changed media wise when it first happened you know i think it was it was a shock for everybody mm. even if you were imagine you would none of us really realized what was going to happen yeah. so i think especially as a startup um you know that we are we are dependent on raising at this stage in our growth so for us we yeah we we definitely had a couple of weeks where we took stock you know really watched our cash flow as i'm sure a lot of startups yeah, yeah, did yeah. as well um, and, you know, one of the big spends that we had as a company was in marketing budget um, and performance budget. So we definitely had a couple of weeks where we just wanted to wait and see what would happen. Um, work out, you know, with the team, what happened with furlough. Mm. And then I think when we realized that this was going to go on for some time, we knew we had to, you got to keep going on. And also we, we, at that point, we did have quite a few thousand customers already because it's a subscription business, yeah. but really we we just need to grow more and learn more about how to be better for our customers. So yeah, we did, we definitely were affected. We, we, we pressed pause for a little bit, like I'm sure a lot of other companies yeah. did. Um, and we were very lucky when we turned it back on again, we had much better um, CPAs. So um, yeah, I think we've, it's just made us think more about, um, yeah, how do we make sure that we're using our budget in the most efficient way possible? Yeah. Um, and influence as well. You've worked with influencers before. Um, you've sort of taken some stock on that as well. Um, and maybe pause what you're doing. Was it because it wasn't working for you or it sort of didn't stand out? Did something change? Well, like with hindsight, which is a great thing, I think I was looking for too much from influencer, influencer right. activity and almost in a you know marketing plan or budget thinking that it was equivalent of our very similar to Instagram ads and you know being code based and using the yardstick of the number of you know sales that we got although there of course there's loads of other metrics like followers and engagement and I think I if anything I might have been too harsh on how I wanted influencer activity to behave and where I thought it was in terms of our plan so I think what we've done now is we we do not think of influencer activity as being a sales driver for us I think it Mm -hmm. can and it does work for lots of other brands I think for period products it's harder it's you know no matter how I, I do i'm very proud of our brand but at the same time I, I know it's not a beauty brand it doesn't have the kind of cachet of anything luxury you know periods really aren't fun and it's just got an interesting space in the influencer space so we're doing a campaign coming up actually um that is probably in the next couple of weeks um where we are using influencers again but we, we haven't tied sales as a driver or as a KPI. So for me, I think I've just changed more about the idea of how do we use influencers. And it's from now it's much more about driving the brand, what we stand for, um, and building on a community of, of people that we have in an industry that I think we can all 
you know we all we have shared values with influencers that we work with that's really important to us yeah so i think it's just been more of a you know an alignment of what is it as a period product company mm. what, what will our relationship with influencers be so yeah. i think it won't be i don't think we will use kind of big code-based campaigns again for a while um behaviors and trends is the the thing that uh, everyone is now trying to work out when that sort of next stage of 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 lockdown where what are those new behaviors that have come up so you know the fact that we phone my parents every day with our little girl and she gets to talk to them on on uh, on video chat never ever did it before they wouldn't have wanted to do it every day now are we going to continue to do that or are they just going to really revert to just talking to them you know once every couple of weeks and for businesses they're trying to work out supermarkets are trying to work out if people are going to do a massive weekly shop as they are now are you going to revert to doing the more impulse stuff um anything new that you've seen from how people are uh you mentioned loyalty a little bit but how people are using your product and are you making bets on, you know, people are going to stick to this or are people going to kind of revert to their their old normal font of a better word? I think I think we'll be quite dependent on the economy and mm-hmm. how how I, mean, I don't want to sound really negative, but how far into a session we go. Yeah. Because we are more expensive than that kind of you know, big players in, in that are sold in retail. We're not much more expensive um, or, you know, price competitive to other organic cotton brands that are yep. delivered to do- your door. So I think one thing is we, we will absolutely be tied to that. So if there's people who converted with us or who, who've joined us um, for whom that could be a problem in the future, we may lose them. But I, I'd like to think that our service is something that people will continue to see the benefit of we're we're really trying to shift user behavior in in the product that they buy but how they buy it and it is arguably just a better better service it really is and i think it's one of those you know there's a shift changes when if you'd have told us like 20 years ago how much we would spend on coffee from coffee shops you'd be like that's not worth it and it really is it really is our products are so much better and it's so convenient getting what you need through your door yeah. i i i'd like to think that we actually will see um people sticking with us also our, you know our targets aren't to you know kind of beat tampax in the next three years at all it's about trying to find customers who love us that we're really we're solving a problem for them so yeah, like yeah. for our temp liner it's a tampon and a liner at the same time we're really trying to help women and people of periods who use two products that they don't need to do that anymore yeah. so it's just about how do we find enough people who really really want our product um and then they'll kind of do the selling for us because they'll refer their yeah. friends they'll, yeah. they'll talk about it so it's definitely not about being mass it's about finding people that are looking for our product and our service and i think we've been extremely lucky in lockdown that the service element in particular is what's really kind of hooking people but when they write to us and give us their feedback they absolutely love the products too yeah. um but i think the service is the thing that really you know came over and I, I, retail is going to be fundamentally changed for quite a long time yeah, yeah, yeah i think that's what is definitely you know i think that's here to stay i think people will be yeah. looking to get more things delivered i mean i remember when i converted and i bought gusto for the first time back yeah. in 2015 I can't imagine cooking food now in the normal or, you know, having to, the mental load of having to think about what to buy. I just go to my app um, and, you know, I kind of joke about it to my friends, but it saved our marriage because it meant that when I, when I worked late, my husband just got on with it. He had a little recipe garden, he knew what to do. So I think there's, sometimes you have these shifts with things where they're, you know, essential products, Mm. food or how you manage a period. Um, And I think, you know, both Gusto and us, we've, we've invented a better way of doing it. Yeah. So I, I hope it does stick after COVID. Yeah, it's a really nice point, especially around the the the, the, 
the point of difference through through service. Um, two questions to finish while I've got you, Kate. One is around, you know, we've sort of, we were a nation of quizzes anyway, but we've sort of gone quiz crazy during lockdown. Best lockdown quiz that you've been involved in so far? Well, I've, I haven't gone into the quizzes a lot. <laughs> we had We had one at work. Um, okay. and we all had to bring a question mm-hmm. and my boys and I did so I've got two two boys one six one's eight and we did a name that tune so nice. I think they picked like a Bob Marley tune and like a rap tune um, and then I've done one with some friends um, on the, over the weekend but I'm, I'm a little bit zoomed out I have to say by the end yeah. of the day yeah. I am a bit zoomed out um, so I've tended to avoid quizzes yes. I haven't really joined this bandwagon i'm afraid which is which is totally fine you're not going to have any problem going back to not doing a quiz <laughs> three times a week um and the last question is do you wave goodbye at the end of your video conference calls i i do but i always cringe when i do it and i don't really realize i'm doing it and often if i'm a little bit late i'm on i'm on mute i'll kind of like do a double wave apologetic <laughs> hi i'm here and then you kind of see some people wave back with a little two-handed wave um but yeah I'm, st- I'm really not we actually went crazy on zoom at the beginning um and increasing that increasingly now if it's one-on-ones i'll often just do audio calls because same exactly um, the same yeah, yeah yeah sometimes you just want to not be so drained by looking into the camera and yeah. looking into a screen you don't um, sit yeah. that intently and intensely in a, in a physical meeting do you know what i mean and you do <laughs> you know it's I think we all rushed to that because like we, we'd never really had a massive culture of doing video conferencing at all. Yeah. So it's all new and you sort of, oh God, is this the way I do it? And even talking to the big platforms, you know, Google and Facebook, et cetera, who have a culture of it. It was like, we're getting fatigued by this thing. You can't sit on seven, you know, back-to-back video conferencing calls all day. It, it, you are knackered by the end of the day. You definitely don't want to do your quiz. <laughs> your zoom yeah. quiz once you've done seven zoom calls so. exactly yeah. i think that's another sign of the corona case so like we i think as a team we all missed each other so much we put in two yeah. social zoom things right in the weeks the first few lockdown weeks and then after about four weeks we're like i think this wednesday one's a bit overkill <laughs> and then and then we kind of moved the friday one that was drinks to a thursday and then we tried it we tried it again on a friday no. i think you you kind of have to find your equilibrium of what works yeah, with yeah. you know being able to social because that's the thing that I miss the most that you know I love the team I love their company I'm used to having them around my flat I, I just want to yeah. be with them again and, and zooms just don't really no. work especially when you are used to being in a professional capacity with all these people it's quite hard to switch into that yes now we're not at work and we're just enjoying each other's company I think that's a bit that I've missed the most yeah. I just want to have a friendly chat with people that I like spending my time with that may not have anything to do with our ROI or a campaign or whatever. Yeah, 100%. Well, it feels like we're going to get there at, at some point. I know. It's, we're, it's we're really close, isn't close. it? It really is. <laughs> um, Kate, thank you so much for giving us half an hour today. I mean, it just sounds... It sounds like you're an amazing place with the business and the and the crowdfunding and, and you know talk of Europe and retail. I mean, it sounds amazing. So thank you so much. You must be so busy for giving us some time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having us, James. It's been, you know, it's been a lovely experience working with you guys since we were named um, as one of the top 50 D2C companies. It's been an exciting ride with all you guys. Yes, and some lovely synergy with Tom at Gusto as well. We've had Steph from Don't Buy Flowers. Yeah. On, so we've completed the trilogy yeah. now, which is which is fantastic. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. We wish you all the best for the future. We're going to put some links to the, the unboxing. We'll put links into the crowdfunding as well. So, you know, best of luck with getting to that two million. Thank you so much, James.
IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising. Kate Wang from Callie there. I just love Kate's honesty and uh, pragmatism, I guess, on you know the way they change their thinking about influencers. She talks about uh, how deep a recession will go into and uh, her point on crowdfunding and how they want 40% of their crowdfund investors to be women and acknowledging that you know they've got to do a bit more work about it and there's no there's no excuses with anything uh, in that interview it's all just purely focused on getting stuff done and you know they've got really exciting plans into Europe and when they start to get into retail it was a brilliant brilliant chat uh, you should definitely watch their unboxing brand film it makes the lack of innovation in tampons point just brilliantly Uh, and there's a link in the notes and of course check out the IB's report on D2C brands which includes the full list of leading companies in the UK just visit ibuk.com forward slash born online that's it for today but we'll be back next week with another episode and if you want to listen to more episodes like this one specifically on D2C brands during lockdown you can hear interviews with Gusto, Don't Buy Her Flowers and tales.com all at ibuk.com forward slash connected or in all the usual places you get your podcasts from. Thanks very much for listening. IAB UK. Born Online.